Hi there, welcome to How Did It Get There? I'm your host, John Penn. So my guest on the show today is Topper Lillian. Um, you know, I guess I got to know I guess more about him and his work through his proximity to Columbia, but I, I really realized how legendary his career was when I started watching some of the films and the films that he was attached to, the films that he wrote scripts for. I mean, he's written for every major studio, including Sony and Disney and Miramax. Along the way, he was attached to make this uh, Jerry Garcia biopic, which I'm excited to see. But as far as the films that I saw, I mean, Lowdown is an incredible masterpiece. I mean, a film like that, you wonder why it doesn't get into the contention of, you know, best picture. I mean, it's fantastic. It's about Joe Albany, who's this incredible jazz pianist in the mid-70s. And it's just that Hollywood climate landscape of dealing with drugs and distractions and horror movies and it's all that into one there's a scene in that film uh and you know topper was a screenwriter with amy joe albany who's joe's uh daughter with peter dinklage where he's and i don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it but it's he's like (laughs) he's in this shiva costume and he's completely blue and Amy Joe basically loses respect for him in this one moment um, when he's kind of become her confidant, someone that she can trust. And she sees him do this really weird, weird, weird thing. And um, yeah, and that kind of uh, evades um, how she feels about him in that moment, I guess. Uh, that's kind of the last we see of him in there. But others in that film, I mean, Flea is incredible. According to... Uh, Topper, and I didn't realize this at the time, but he is playing kind of a Chet Baker e character. Uh, I mean, he's like, he's the guy that's pawning off his instruments. There's a guy in that film that has uh, epilepsy that, you know, Joe's daughter goes out with. And that's kind of his introduction in some way into the shift in music um, and into rock, you know. So that's really, really cool. One, one, t- one, another thing about that. And, um, and this is also interesting is that that character, he like, he doesn't know who Cole Porter is. And we kind of, me and, uh, you know, Topper and I kind of talked about that, about how like people now in the landscape of streaming, when so many, so much access to films and older films and older directors like Kozlowski and, um, you know, everyone that made an impact on the, on the business of film are kind of underlooked. And I think that's not cool because, I mean, these are the foundational auteurs that constructed the infrastructure in which modern day directors can, you know, navigate and make their own work. And I think you have to look at the past in order to sort of assess the present with that lens. And we kind of talked about that in, in conjunction with Lowdown, but then also being a film professor. I mean, he's taught at all the major institutions from USC to NYU Tisch to Columbia and we kind of talked about how those experiences have evolved Um, you know along the way he's worked with guys like James Cameron Ridley Scott Michael Bay and um, you know Steve Golan who's great and also Paul Newman we kind of talked about that where the money is that's another script that the topper penned um, you know and you know really um, mixed experiences too uh, stuff that doesn't go well, you know, uh, the scripts that are written and you want them to get made, but whatever things get in the way. Um, and maybe it's a writer's strike. We kind of talked about that too, how, how that, how that affects the business. Um, and how this, this strike is kind of maybe different than past strikes that he's evolved with in terms of his longevity in the business. Um, and then he was he was also in Coneheads. Uh, he had a kind of an interesting role in that. And another another film that we talked about is Dungeons and Dragons, which I think he had a mixed. He would say that he had a mixed experience on being part of like a, an RPG role playing game fantasy genre thing. Um, so it's like it was really interesting to talk about all these different 
topics and films and film experiences living in New York and LA. And I, I really enjoyed this, this conversation thoroughly. And I hope you do the same. Uh, if not, that's okay too. Uh, but you will. So uh, enjoy and have a good, what month is it? May. Have a good entry into your summer. Enjoy. Delhi, Bovina. I'm in the town of Andes. It's mm. about three hours north. Three and a, it's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, so, but how's how's that? How long have you been over there? Um, well, I gave up my apartment uh, after the pandemic in Brooklyn. I've got a girlfriend who lives uh, on the Upper West Side, mm. and so I was never there. So I've had this place about ten years, and I come up here to work. Yeah. You know? So you have like you have New York, but you're in New York, but you're not necessarily in the hampered by the the chaos and the distractions of the city. So you can ride, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, um, you know, New York. I grew up in New York and um, though I lived out in California for about 20 years, but um, uh, I'm really over living in the city. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, you know, New York has changed. I, I mm. like Brooklyn a lot, and Brooklyn's changing. You know, um, just all the uh, real estate frenzy, and yeah. But Manhattan is just not what it used to be. I don't enjoy being there, and especially after the the, the COVID, um, mm. it really changed. You know, I, I'm saying that today, and then you know, come <laughs> August, I'll be desperate yeah. to get back. So, yeah, that's the way it goes. I guess any good thing, any good situation has its caveats. But I've heard that. I've actually heard that from a few few people that, um, yeah, post pandemic, allegedly post pandemic, we're not really sure, right? But I, in this situation, it's like the subways are kind of in mayhem, and there's a lot, oh, yeah. lot going on that isn't isn't great. But when you were when you were in New York, I mean, when you were like growing up, when did you, did you grow up in New York first or L.A. or California? No, no, New York, New York. Um, I left the East Coast um, on my thirtieth birthday. Mm. Oh wow, my thirtieth uh, birthday is coming up in a couple months. It's well, scary. go out to L.A. <laughs> Do you remember what you did on your birthday? Did you do anything? Yeah, I got cool? married. Oh man, nice. Insult cool. to injury. Um <laughs> as we build it. But then I got into a car um that was a a, a wedding gift to me and my wife. Mm -hmm. Uh and it was a, a 64 Chevy Impala. Oh, nice. Oh, an amazing car. And we drove to California. It took like wow. three weeks, just zigzagged all around. And it it was fantastic because also uh, we never got on an interstate. We were taking small roads. and uh, But we ended up down in Mississippi and we got, mm. and this car stood out. I mean, it was yeah. a beautiful, beautiful um, vehicle. But that we got lost in in deep Mississippi in in the Delta, and we ended up on top of a levee wow. by the Mississippi River, and we were running out of gas, and we couldn't figure out how to get off. <laughs> we didn't know how we got on in those days. You know, there was no GPS. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but years later, that whole experience. Um, turned into the basis of of a screenplay so what screenplay was that um it was called uh the prodigal son mm -hmm. and it was very interesting it was going to be my directorial debut wow and at various points it had different actors attached but like yeah. so many of these stories uh you know so many of these scripts it 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 died a slow um death painful I mean, yeah. it takes a long time you know but uh for good material to die but you know and it takes a long time for good material to get onto the screen um but this one it had various lives and it mm. kept me working you know as a writing sample for for years um 
but I love the script and it and I ended up doing a lot of research um, mm -hmm. going down to uh, deep Mississippi for yeah. a couple of months um, with the State Department of Health going out with the, their midwives because oh, wow. one, of the, one of the characters was a black 16 year old girl going home from like East St. Louis or something. Oh yeah. To have a baby mm. going back South. There was a big reverse migration and I didn't want to be writing about something, especially as a white guy, even mm -hmm. you know, 20 odd years ago uh, that I knew nothing about. So yeah. I parlayed this into uh, an incredible experience. You know, we so we met all we met mothers that were wow. like the woman I was uh, writing fictionally about. So was that a wild? Yeah, was that a wild experience? I mean, oh and that's also God. I mean that's the birthplace of the Delta Blues too. So you that's have all that it. music. That's it. That's it. And I'm a big music guy. I've written a lot of music scripts. Um, I, I played music for about 10 years professionally before I started writing scripts. And uh, so that was part of the attraction. I mean, you know, it all began right between Memphis and, you know, New Orleans. That's yeah. so, no, it was an extraordinary experience. And that's one of the things like um, I do tell my students that most scripts never get made. Sure. You know, and so one of the great uh, understandings that you develop when you screenwrite professionally is that the research and the people that you meet, that is one of the great bonuses. So you have to you have to embrace that and celebrate it. You know, every um, Doyle Brunson died the other day. You know who that was? Mm. The obit. Oh, I didn't know that he died. Wow. Yeah, front page of the Washington Post and New York Times. I spent a year with Doyle traveling to poker tournaments with him. Oh, my God. And staying out in Vegas. So, But that script never got made. But what an experience that year was, you know, hanging out with all these high-stakes poker guys. Um, absolutely fantastic. And then that research, it ends up, in other screenplays sure. and maybe those screenplays do get made yeah you know? but the thing is you know one of the great things about being a screenwriter is people open up their their um their box. chest of experiences yeah yeah i, I yeah. guess you ha you have to have you have to embrace the experience because if you don't and it doesn't get made i guess that's got to be especially crushing right well you know it's funny because um i was just over Outside of Boston, I have a, a sibling, a sister who sold mm -hmm. her house. And I had, I don't know why, just a bunch of crap in her basement. Yeah. And I found an early version of a script. I had a writing partner for years that was written before computers. This makes me <laughs> seem so old. It was written no. on an IBM Selectric. Wow. And it had the name of our agent i didn't even remember what agency she was at yeah. uh but you know that script i just thought because it it ended up on the equivalent of the blacklist mm -hmm. we got our first office we got wow. a deal on it i thought it, I, I didn't understand that <laughs> Then they had to go out and raise the money and cash. Oh, yeah. They thought, yeah. oh, they're going to make our movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was heartbroken. That, But that one, again, many lives and certainly kept us working for, you know, five or 10 years as a sample. So, um, yeah. and it was, it was, you know, we worked with some great people on it, learned a hell of a lot. So, um when you write on a typewriter, is there a difference in the process? Like, it seems like you're, you're kind of, you have a more direct relationship with each word and you can't hit backspace when you don't like something. Do you feel like the I mean, connection is stronger? White out. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. cutting and pasting and yeah. the Xerox machine. That's how, um, 
No, you know, I love computer writing mm -hmm. um, just because uh, there, you know, it used to be like when me as a solo writer or when I had my partnership, yeah. uh, if we wanted to do research, we'd be in the library in downtown L.A., you mm. know, and yep. now, I mean, the Internet's amazing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a time waste but when you use it properly, I mean, unbelievable what you can find in terms of, um, I'll tell you a very funny story. I got yeah. a job, uh, a great writing gig, um, writing a story about a, uh, a murder that took place um, in Houston and in mm -hmm. Florida, the whole case, very complicated. But there was private money. A guy was funding the script. He hired me based on another script that I had written that took place in Stockton, California. Mm -hmm. um, and Stockton was where, what was the John Houston boxer movie with Stacey Keach? Um, oh. One of the great all-time films. Let's see. And that's why I said it. Um Fat City? In, yeah, Fat City. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Um, <laughs> what a great movie that is. Yeah. Know? And yeah. Jeff Bridges' first movie. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Candy Clark, Stacey mm -hmm. Keach, wonderful cast. And yeah. uh, anyway, um, I was so enamored of that film over the years. You know, it's always been one of my favorite films that I set a movie in Stockton. I never set foot in Stockton. Yeah. Google Maps. And so, and then you, you can go deeper and deeper. And eventually yeah. Google Maps gets into 3D and photographs and everything. So I laid out this whole, you know, so you want to find out where the strip clubs are, right. or the body shops, or, yeah. you know, the college campuses, whatever you need. Yeah. And this guy hired me because he was from Stockton. Mm -hmm. and he read this script and he said yeah. oh you know stockton so well and i just had to like, yeah, I know. yeah never set foot in stockton california i guess but, you gotta you gotta do that uh it's like playing what do they say like playing the part or uh yeah. acting like you know method acting you know yeah because i guess that writing. gives you the confidence to you know even if you don't know that you can figure it out eventually right well, you know, it, it's interesting, too. I worked uh, a few times with the late and great Elmore Leonard. Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I've certainly read all his books, but I would always go see him when he'd come to Los Angeles. And yeah. he told a great story. He wrote a novel called Cuba Libre. Mm -hmm. And he had this uh, researcher, I think his name was Greg Sutton or something, God was profiled in the New Yorker as researcher because Elmore Leonard never left. Uh, I think it was from Bloomfield, Michigan or something. Oh, yeah. He never left, you know, and he was this little, very diminutive, sweet guy. And yeah. uh, he would write till 6 p.m. And then his wife would bring up dinner on TV tables and they'd watch wheel of fortune <laughs> if you've ever read his novels i mean they're violent they're yeah. you know, the voices and everything but elmore leonard was writing cuba libre he knew nothing about the spanish civil war nothing about cuba and uh his researcher brought him a book of photos and it was like these mercenaries on some dock waiting for a ship in florida to mm. go down to cuba to fight yeah, and looked at the photo and he said, "Now I can write the novel." <laughs> yeah, they got the inspiration right. Well, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's kind of interesting. Like you're taking something and you're kind of turning it on its axis, which is that a lot of writers, I think, their first thing is usually autobiographical because it's the whole thing of writing what you know. But you're saying that even if that's not the case, we well, were shaking your head. Is that do you think that's well, not the case? writing what you're you know? I mean, I've been doing um, a lot of teaching. It's very interesting. Yeah. I love teaching, but, uh, you know, I do way too much of it because I'm still working and it's, you know, yeah. but 
it 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 does help me become a better writer and and i always talk about writing what you know because yes there's great truth to it but it's not about doing autobiography oh, yeah. Or, yeah. or doing a documentary mm-hmm. you know but if you've ever been in a terrible car accident you know and the moment <laughs> where the the car stops rolling you, you who cares about the specific details what was the feeling yeah you know, in that instant you yeah. know that feeling like the tunnel vision that you get and the adrenaline and the heightened reality so yeah you, you if you know that then use it in in a fictional setting that's writing what you know but you're right like when i started out oh my god the the stuff I wrote was so awful and it was just about you know a college kid who drank too much or something <laughs> you know yeah who cares yeah but so when did you so you're growing up in New York and um I mean do you have siblings too yeah yeah so I mean did you um like where do you what did your uh family do like for work and stuff well, my father was in advertising, actually, mm-hmm. J. Walter Thompson. And then he, I think when he was around 50, he he uh, left and and started, uh, helped start a company that was uh, for executive training, teaching. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and it, he was very successful with that. And he, he got to travel around the world and he worked till he was 80. He's still... Mm-hmm they're still alive in the same apartment where they they raised four kids and then you know um my siblings no one became an artist or Mm -hmm. writer or um, an actor or anything like that you know uh i was the only one where where did that come from i mean you were interested you were playing music you love music so where did the writing come from well, you know, music was this, I mean, the kind of stuff that I was writing, because uh, I was a songwriter and a performer. Mm. And um, actually, I at the end of my music years, I was offered a staff songwriting job in Nashville. Mm. And I was going to go down and be a, a professional songwriter on Music Row, which, wow. you know, this was in the 80s. I, I mean, you know, Nashville always was a very interesting town mm-hmm. uh and you know bob dylan recorded there uh, yeah blonde on blonde and john wesley harding i mean oh, all yeah. nashville players uh but at the same time i i wrote um, a script with a friend and he went out to la and it kind of blew up but the songs i was writing were stories you know, they yeah. were very much which, um, you know, there's a, a story about Charlie Parker when when he was on the road with all these jazz musicians and they'd stop in a diner, you know, or someplace where black people could go if they yeah. were in. The and he played the jukebox and he'd play country music and all oh, these yeah jazz guys would go you know charlie what the hell heard come on (laughs) it's the stories it's the stories he loved you know hearing these great um you know hank williams i mean they're all they're all storytellers so it was part and parcel in a way and i i just thought it was going to be easier frankly Mm. the music is a grind i mean it's it's impossible yeah well, I mean, like you said, I mean, a lot of your um, scripts, I mean, you've definitely written music into them and they're the often the the character, I guess, uh, the off to the side or background character is the music. So, I mean, you and you mentioned this idea of like um, terrible car accidents. Speaking of that, I mean, the Jerry Garcia, you were you were attached to write his story, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I worked on that for a long time. I don't know what's happening with it. Um, they got a really great director and here's another thing about the whole writing experience yeah uh i've met absolutely wonderful people the director on that did the amazon documentary long strange trip the three-hour documentary amir barlev 
but he also did an, an incredible movie uh called the pat tillman story oh but yeah he's become a, a great friend and you know yeah so getting to you know i love that world um ken kesey yeah the mary pranksters neil cassidy yeah uh, you know and and garcia wanted to be a, a bluegrass player he wanted to play banjo with bill monroe oh wow and, and then you get kesey and he like kesey acid was, testing yeah yeah he was with mk ultra and the cia mm. and he was one of and so was robert hunter they were subject mm. Yeah, and you 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 add a little LSD to a banjo bluegrass banjo player, and you get the Grateful Dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a great story. I mean that you know those early, and then the whole hate Ashbury thing, mm. and you know so. But who knows what's going to happen with that? I mean, there's a competing project now, and uh. But the producers there again, just wonderful people, Albert Berger and Ron. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You worked with them. You worked with uh, Albert at least on Lowdown, right? Yeah. Yeah. Albert and Ron, both of them. And yeah. that was an incredible experience. Jeff Price, wonderful director. Man. Yeah. Flea was in the movie. John yeah. Fox, Glenn Close, L. Fanning, they're all you know super nice flea, flea was in the moving do movie doing something he's probably seen a lot of people over the years done which is um yeah. pawning off instruments to feed their heroin habits i mean yeah. that's yeah really well wild, amy, like amy albany wrote the uh the book mm -hmm. and amy amy eventually came on and you know she and i worked on the script together but amy's dad joe albany yeah. you know that was a real thing Mm -hmm. And in Amy's book, Flea was playing Chet Baker more or less. Oh, but yeah. they would they Amy and Joe, the mom abandoned them. They lived in these flea bag hotels on right. the east side of Hollywood. And like Mingus or mm -hmm. Thelonious Monk would come out with a new record and they'd make a little bed for Amy in the bathtub. And she'd oh, be yeah. eight years old. Then they'd shut the door and then they'd shoot up out in the other room and yeah. listen to the new monk record. And Amy yeah. would always say it was just like the most comforting. She just hear him. Oh man, listen to monk, you know, wow. it was like this lullaby putting her to sleep. Man. Uh, yeah. So Albert and Ron, I wrote them. Um, I wrote them that script that I was telling you about. They were the producers yeah. on, uh, this murder piece which is yeah. now at hbo laura dern got attached to it it was called candy and mel mm. um an incredible story uh but i think laura dern uh, they're turning it into a limited series and um i have been squeezed out i have a feeling we'll see where, yeah. it, where it ends up but that's showbiz too, like writing features. I'm sure you know this. Uh, feature writers are mm. kind of the lone man on the totem pole. Mm. You know, in TV, they're they're the top dog. You know? Yeah, because and is that because why is there such a difference? Because I guess in TV, like you have a different director coming on each week so there has to yeah, be some the, consistency yeah. right the, the, and directors are hired duns you know right. they don't, the the writer originates it and then you got to crank out episodes every week if you've got you know i mean now they're doing you know limited series so it could be you know six episodes but when it was network stuff it could be you know a dozen it could be 20 and yeah. you, you you just have to write that stuff and you know be um good you know high quality consistent work and so but in the features because it's such a long process what happens is uh the writer gets replaced you know it takes 10 years it takes maybe minimum five years uh but by and large any movie that i've ever worked on that's gotten produced uh has been around for a decade yeah you know? 
Yeah. So you got to be really uh, passionate about what you're doing, right? And then what happens is, you know, you do, this just happened to me last year, I'm mm -hmm. writing uh, on occasion with another uh, writer, uh, a different partner than my first one. And we wrote a script uh, that got a director attached. It was a job. Mm -hmm. uh, the director was this wonderful uh, Polish director, Jan Kamasa, mm -hmm. who uh, was nominated for Best Foreign Film for something called Corpus Christi. Mm -hmm. um, and he lost to Parasite. So it was that year. Oh, wow. But Jan got on and then the producers and Jan and what happens is everyone's got opinions. And then as a writer and especially, well, it's not only that that was an assignment, even if it had been a spec script that I had written, once someone options it or buys it, you don't control the material. Oh, anymore. yeah. So you're always, as a feature writer, walking this line. Uh, from whom do you take uh, notes? Right. And there's a hierarchy. Like in some cases, if you're working for Jerry Bruckheimer, you listen to him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as opposed to some director who shot a, a Budweiser commercial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Know? But in this case, Jan had a lot of heft and uh, we, uh, another, you know, he's become a very good friend, but the, the script went sideways and uh, it's, I, I, I don't think if they resume working on it, that my partner and I are, are we're not going to be the writers that will replace us. You know? where did you uh, where'd you go to college I mean growing up in New York did you stay in the city or did you go somewhere no, else no I well I went to Wesleyan and then uh, oh yeah I, I ended up at Bennington oh uh, yeah in Vermont which yeah. is a writer's school and actually I wrote a novel up there for a thesis uh, and then I got a, a low residency MFA in creative writing were uh, you there were you there with like uh, Dinklage and all those guys I knew Dinklage just because of lowdown, but uh, I was uh, after uh, before Dinklage, but I did actually my screenwriting started at a summer writing workshop. I wrote a short story and there I was in a class with with Brett Ellis. Oh, uh, yeah. And that was the year, like Donna Tart, Brett Ellis, those guys, especially less than zero was just. Mm -hmm. uh, but I wrote a short story and it ended up there was uh, a woman that I vaguely knew from the Paris Review up, you know, it was a summer workshop and she um, she put it into a Paris Review contest. Mm hmm. And uh, it didn't win. It was, but it was like a runner-up or something. I never thought of myself as a writer, and uh, and what happened was it eventually got published somewhere, uh, some you know yeah. literary magazine. But um, m my friend, who I eventually wrote with for about fifteen or so years, uh, he thought that that made me a writer mm -hmm. and he had a short story from an actor friend uh this guy fisher stevens who's oh, on yeah. session right now that's right yep and uh but fisher won an oscar for the cove you know a documentary mm -hmm. and fisher he, he's a character but yeah. he had a damon runyon story he wanted uh to make a script out of and he was just coming off of a movie called Short Circuit, I think. Oh, so yeah. Fisher had a little heat. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he knew my friend who became my writing partner. And he gave him the story, a Damon Runyon story. And uh, my wife and I were living out in Williamsburg, actually. In oh, the wow. 80s, which was just a big crack then. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, we had two floors in a building, an old Masonic lodge in an apartment upstairs. Um, 
And my friend came out and we wrote a script in like four months. And then, but so that short story was kind of the seed for it. Then uh, what happened was uh, Fisher being an actor and all of us being knuckleheads, uh, all these people wanted, we got signed to ICM. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. It just, and I moved out to LA like overnight. Yeah. And and all these people were ready to, you know, buy the script or whatever. And I finally said to Fisher one day, "Do we have to own this story?" We didn't own the story. Fisher didn't own it. It was yeah. legendarily unavailable. Wow! There were so many rights problems. So we didn't own the script. Man. And, uh, so I moved out to L.A. with uh, a script that. And Susan Seidelman, remember her? She was going to produce it. Mm -hmm. She had done Desperately Seeking Susan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there were, it was very interesting. Um, ended up out in L.A., like, totally broke. Yeah. Uh, and then we quickly wrote another script, the, the one I was telling you about, that mm -hmm. ended up, there was like premiere and movie line and movie line every year did the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood and yeah. the script got on that. Mm -hmm. Wow. But, but what happened was it got optioned. Uh, I don't think it was ever bought, but then we got hired to, to rewrite it. And with a and M films, which was on the old Charlie Chaplin lot yeah. in, uh, in Hollywood. And so we 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 get an office there and we think, oh, my God, we've made it. We've yeah. made it. And we we had to join the Writers Guild because they were signatory. And then within weeks, the Writers Guild went out on strike for five. Oh, yeah. A familiar story, right? Yeah, familiar story. And that was devastating to us. Really? Uh, but then during that strike, the short story that I'd written, there was something called Chanticleer Films, The Discovery Program. Mm. And it was David Putnam who was running then Columbia Studios. Mm. Yeah. And he did, had done Chariots of Fire. Oh, yeah. So he was this Brit and he was going to shake up Hollywood and make it a, a more intellectual, sure. quality driven. Mm -hmm. So they pick like six people every year to do these big budgeted shorts to direct them. I sent my short story in. Uh, my wife went in to be a costume designer for them. Mm. And they, they asked her because she was very decidedly not from Southern California. Yeah. And they said like, what are you doing here? And she said, my husband's a screenwriter. And uh, they gave her the the um, entry material, and she came back and said, "You got to do this." So I I did it, and I sent that story that I'd written at Bennington in. Wow. Long story short, I became one of the uh, the winners, and so yeah. I directed like a half hour. You know, it was big budget in those days. It was like half a million bucks, thirty five millimeter. Yeah uh went to sundance uh how was how was directing i mean had you done that was that the first thing no you i never i had this little book you know yeah. they would all say things like well then when we do the foley oh yeah 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 okay cool i yeah. didn't know what foley was i go out in the hall yeah. and look it up i mean yeah. I nothing it mm. was but then again one of my great friends uh from that experience was my cinematographer a woman named lisa rinsler mm. who, uh, a couple of years ago she shot a film that won the oscar for best short she's worked with vim vendors and oh, wow. emmys you know lisa's since that experience you know and that's kind of the way um the showbiz works you do have a lot of bad experience there there are a lot of i mean i worked with harvey weinstein a ton yeah. oh yeah uh, you know and you meet people like that and then you meet people like uh you know albert Berger and ron Yerkes. oh yeah it's cain and abel right <laughs> yeah cain and abel 
So that was so you worked at Miramax uh, a lot. I mean, you had that. Experience. Yeah, it was really funny because uh, my writing partner and I were good and we were cheap. Yeah. And so uh, Harvey and Bob, we just became their go to fixers. Right. So anytime they had a script, you know, and they, they would like we flew to London with them, like working on a script that, you know, stuff would be in production. Yeah. And have us come in and just like, you know, uh, but it, it was an incredible. I mean, the, the end of that experience was we got on the film. I can't even remember what it was called. This is how long I've been in this damn business. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I had gotten into an argument with with Bob Weinstein, I think. Yeah. Uh, and so the director the producers they were in new york we were in la it was on we were on a speakerphone all in one room and bob and harvey didn't know i was in the room and it was my 35th birthday i remember wow. like they were you know throwing me a party my friends and family and, wow. and bob and harvey not realizing i'm there because i gotten into a disagreement you know, it was like, who the fuck is this Topper Lillian guy? Fire him, get rid of him. No oh, one man. said anything, myself included. One of my biggest regrets. Uh, yeah, that doesn't sound like Harvey at all, man. That's yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Bob was, you know, birds oh, of there. Yeah. They were brothers, but um, yeah, one of my biggest. And and the funniest thing was, so that was the end of a very prolific uh, writing period. Mm. But then about 10 years later, we ended up working with them uh, with Ben Affleck's company, this guy, Chris Moore, who was... Oh, like, yeah. The Goodwill Hunting guy, right? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Ben Affleck was partnered. Chris Moore, definitely. Uh, I, I I can't remember who all yeah. else involved but miramax paid us they hired us again and it was you know it was a a payday script yeah uh, it wasn't one of their like uh like know. on the shelf yeah yeah Nothing. yeah so do, does that do you like i mean those experiences like when you're um when you're doing like doctoring work is that or re and rewriting scripts i mean is that uh helpful as a writer to, do you feel like you grow in that experience or is it just kind of unsatisfying doing that stuff no it's always a challenge i mean that's a great question you know and and back to things not getting made um what you eventually have to do as a, a screenwriter is take pride in your understanding and implementing of of craft mm. and that's got to be the satisfaction like what you write because you can't control anything else yeah so but every job that you do you know you if you don't get attached to it in a very uh you know well-defined way it, it it the the material won't be any good Mm -hmm. So on script doctoring, it's the same thing or um, rewrites, you know, getting hired to rewrite someone else. You got to find a way in and to connect with it. So uh, and then, you know, once you achieve that, then what you try and do is put all your understanding of of how to write a screenplay into it. And it, you know, it's a never ending process because yeah. screenwriting is super tough. It's a weird form. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, I used to be, when I started out because I had friends that were novelists and short story writers and getting published and, and doing well, I would always be embarrassed to say I was a screenwriter because I thought it was like the bastard child, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then they would send me because you can't make money as a novelist, you know, bread mm -hmm. out sure. But, you yeah. know, by and large, you know, you work for five years and you get a tiny advance and yeah. no one buys the book. So they'd all turn to writing screenplays and they'd send me their scripts and uniformly horrible. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's it's it's, it's like, you know, it, it's if you were writing uh you know, 
epic poems in pentameter you know you'd have to you'd have to conform to a a set of of rules and screenwriting has its own set of rules is is that what uh would you say that applies to like a like a big movie like dungeons and dragons which you wrote i mean is that that was just an embarrassment um that old thing uh and that was well i'll tell you something um interesting uh that movie we thought it was going to be a payday i knew nothing about i didn't know what dungeons and dragons was uh but there was a great uh director and producer running this company for these two kids really Corey solomon who ended up oh yeah but we thought we went out to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, where Dungeons and Dragons was headquartered. And they the the, the producers, Corey and I forget the other guy's name yeah. with a blessing, but uh <laughs> they took us into a warehouse of all the D D merch. Yeah. And they said, We're going to make games based on the movie. And oh, yeah. that's you know, Jeremy Irons did it too. Everyone was looking for yeah. a a score and we became the biggest uncollected case of re- uncollected residuals case in oh, writer's man. guild history wow they, they absconded with i'm not even going to tell you how much and it, yeah. the wga god bless them because we they, they had deep pockets they were they were backed by some billionaire mm-hmm. and so we couldn't sue them you know uh but I, I mean, I'm talking like my writing partner and I each could have bought a, 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 a nice house at that wow. time in L.A. Never yeah. saw anybody. And we got like finally like 10 cents on the dollar. Uh, well, maybe after the strike, you know, we can kind of change that stuff up, right? Maybe you can. Well, uh... I'm looking forward. I'm hoping that everyone sees the the movie that we wrote. But it, I, it's an embarrassment. My My writing partner never even saw it. Oh, man. Uh, I went, they did a, a premiere, but at that point, I mean, you know, the, the guy who directed the movie and produced it, um, we, yeah. we had different sensibilities, different tastes. Oh yeah. But you know, that was a job that, and it, it's, it's probably some form of heresy to speak against Dungeons and Dragons, but it was not, uh something that you know i enjoyed i yeah. love jerry garcia i'm not a mm-hmm. dead, but i understand where those guys were trying to go uh dungeons and dragons it's just like oh yeah my. well i don't know if that's a fair yeah comparison i mean saying jerry garcia and D in the same sentence i feel like that's heresy in itself don't you think yeah, yeah, I think it's heresy. And you know, the bottom line is like uh, all the uh the Palo Alto people, they they took acid. The D and D people are just like, you know, spinning sober. Out. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I am an elf. I'm a dwarf with a sword, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just- um yeah, it's a, no wonder why they can't why they have trouble getting laid, right? Um so then uh you, you worked said with it, uh... my friend, I didn't say it. Uh, no, I, have, I have issues with that too. And I don't play that. I've never played that game uh, ever. So I have that, but all right. So when you think about, cause you worked with, um, I mean that Paul Newman movie. Oh which, yeah. That yeah. was a great working with Paul Newman. We were yeah. with him for like, uh, uh, almost a year. Wow. The, you know, the film, it, it, that film was very sad because they got a cut of it that, and you know, I can't, really bad mouth people um you know I, it just isn't fair but the director really didn't know what he was doing mm. uh and he had an editor that had cut hip-hop videos oh. and the first cut of the movie was appallingly bad mm-hmm. then they brought in an, an editor um who was older and had cut a lot of big movies and they got a cut that was pretty great you know and we were so happy and relieved but then tony scott decided to recut it and 
Tony, you know, he was like a guy who directed commercials and, mm -hmm. you know, Top Gun. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And it was like, who is this old guy? Nobody cares who Paul Newman is. And oh, like, man. he's old. And we had written a couple of monologues for Newman that were just because we'd work with him. You know, we'd, yeah. we'd be sending stuff back and forth, uh, you know, to his hotel uh, up in Montreal. We were all up there. And, uh, you know, just what an experience to write yeah. for that guy. And we work on, and then Tony Scott cut them all out of the movie. Oh, it was man. heartbreaking. Um, yeah. But that was an experience. I mean, you know, and the craziest thing is teaching now, Students don't know who Paul Newman is. Oh, come on, man. Are you serious? Yeah, they're, like their film knowledge is like Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and a lot of superhero. I mean, occasionally you get the people that are really, you know, but our script that, that got on the movie line unproduced, that was um, a take on Preston Sturgis's Lady Eve. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, you say Preston Sturgis and you just get a blank. Oh, come on. That's terrible. Seriously. It's crazy. But, you know, also you think about it like, uh, well, no, with all the streaming, I mean, you can find. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. Canopy that um, that it's the New York Public Library film collection. It's got all the Criterion films. Oh, Yeah. But yeah, you gotta I, you gotta know those guys. I mean, how can you not? Yeah, I know, but you know, they they just uh everyone's you know, and streaming is is a, a great thing. I mean, what it's done for episodic is mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. Uh but it it has made it unimportant to 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 know your film history. Mm. You know? Yeah, because there's so much to see now like like you know and it, it it's interesting too to me like i would always with music my obsession is if you hear something you know i want to know where it came from you got to go back exactly yeah, yeah you go back and you start digging and now my god i mean there's no excuse not to do that but it's yeah. the same with films like you know but no one had seen like cool hand luke oh come know? on are you Curious? serious yeah. Man. Um, yeah, no, I love, uh, I love Paul Newman. I mean, especially, um, you think about the verdict. Oh, uh, the verdict. Yeah. Which is great. With like James nobody's Mason. Nobody's fool. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even color of money. I mean, I, I, that's like, I like other Scorsese movies, but I think that was, uh, you know, I'm glad he got the Oscar for that. I mean, I yeah. That was, uh, yeah. Well, so, he was such a lovely guy. He was yeah. uh, absolutely. But the first time I met him, uh, I remember we were in his office in New York and uh, which was an old doctor's office in his apartment building. He lived oh, wow. in the movies on fifth Avenue. Hmm. You know how they have all the shrinks office, the MD yeah. office on yeah, the yeah. first floor, sure. upper east side. But so he had a whole spread downstairs. And uh, I just remember I said something to him and he turned to face me and I just got the full voltage of the the blue eyes and the, wow. and I, literally, I mean, it was a movie star, you know. I got like like in my chest, it was just like this electric, uh, you know. That I mean, what an extraordinary! I learned so much from that guy too about screenwriting. What did you learn? Well, because he was, you know, one of the early method guys. Oh, yeah. And so when you'd give them a scene, and I teach my students this, this was my film school entirely. Yeah. Uh, Paul, if he liked it, he would, you know, he'd just nod and give you a smile. If he didn't like it, he was always very um, delicate about it. But he would say, what is the burden of this scene? Mm. And wow. the burden being that screenplays are so completely mechanical and building a narrative and you know i'd never gone to film school i just we, you know 
my writing partner at the time and I, we just banged out a script. We didn't yeah. know what we were doing. It's amazing we ever got hired. But um, Newman saying that, you really had to defend the scenes with him. You know, you had to specifically say, well, this scene, because your character is doing, you know, and it was all method stuff. It was all like, how am I going to play this scene if yeah. the writers don't know what the scene has to achieve? So, but that that was film school. That's that's about 80% of screenwriting right there, yeah. you know. No, I heard something about Paul Newman, like when he was directing, um, I think he was directing theater a little bit. And when yeah. he had, when he had a note for an actor, he would never, uh, he would never like explicit, be explicit about the note in front of everybody. He would just go up to them and whisper it in their ear. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other actors don't know. So it kind of puts them on their toes a little bit too. Like, what did he, what did he say? You know, which is cool. He, he was such a lovely guy. I, I just adored him. And, uh, you know, he, my writing partner and I, and Dermot Mulroney was in yeah. the film. He just liked having like, I don't know, we were all in our thirties or early forties. And he, you know, he just liked having us around. Like we'd just be hanging out in his trailer. He had this oh, whole yeah. entourage, all these people had been with him for decades, his hair purse and his stunt yeah. bubble, you know, and it was just like, this great club and you go in there and you know just hang out with paul so what was the uh what was the coneheads experience oh that was i was just in the movie yeah but uh a friend of mine was producing it for lauren michaels yeah. and i'll tell you the great thing about it is uh so i was like four hours in makeup getting prosthetic <laughs> teeth and my cone and oh yeah and uh, then, you know, because my friend was producing it, it was over at Paramount and I got mm. my own trailer wow. and I had a PA with a golf cart and yeah. you can't even see me in the movie. Like you have to be watching it on pause. I just got cut <laughs> out completely. But I will say this, over the years, I have made thousands of dollars in residuals. Okay. There you go. And I, you, you can't even see me. Like you have to be watching it with me. And but it was really fun. It was yeah. great fun. Uh yeah. But that was definitely uh, you know, the interesting thing about when I went out to Los Angeles, um most of the people that I went out with, they're from New York, and we all had uh these two apartments down over the muscle pit in Venice on muscle oh, Beach. Yeah. Yeah. And they were on the rooftop, but all the New York actors that were getting their first roles and some of them have gone away, but Fisher was one of them. Willie Garson, who just died oh, yeah. last year. He mm -hmm. was one of them. Uh, this guy, very dear friend of mine, Whip Hubley, who was in Top Gun mm -hmm. played Hollywood you know, so we were all, you know, in yeah. this thing and and stuff was taking off and it was just this really fun. And these two apartments, they opened up onto the roof. So we had this huge roof overlooking the Pacific, wow. you know, and Venice in those days, it wasn't like the canals were, that was a crack den too. I mean, Venice oh, yeah. was dangerous. Abbott Kinney. Yeah. Uh, Man. But it was you know down by the boardwalk on the beach it was just this circus endless and uh it was those were really fun times i don't think we fully appreciate it but like one of the people in the house would have a movie there was this guy dale midkiff who played elvis in a tv movie or fisher you know short circuit and in those days the studios because theatrical was so big vhs was just starting but there was a lot of money it was crazy oh, yeah. and they would send a limo to pick you up for the premiere <laughs> and it's all these like you know real uh boneheaded guys <laughs> hanging out 
and in this funky ass neighborhood and the yeah. huge limo drives up and you get into the limo and outside the crack den yeah 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 it was great i never told you i would stand by your side no i never told you that funny you can't say that i lie i never told you i would always be true so you can't say i broke a promise to you